0: The following sermon audio is from The Source Church in Plainfield, Illinois. More information about The Source Church can be found at www.thesourcechurch.life.
1: There we go, okay. All right, before I read scripture for us today, I just wanted to say a very, very, very big thank you to everyone who um, contributed to the Source Kids wish list to help the space downstairs. I am so grateful and so excited and thankful. I came home from work one day this week to a pile of boxes taller than me at our front door and it was all filled with Source Kids stuff and I was really excited. So thank you all for making that happen and making it possible. Um, So with that, if you can turn to Exodus chapter 18 in your Bibles, and I will read that for us. So again, that's Exodus chapter 18, and if you can stand as we read God's word together. All right. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and all that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone, and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, "'What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God.'" And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This is the word of God.
0: before we get started, please pray with me. Our great God, we are amazed that we are your people. We don't take that for granted. And we remember, we do look at the cross this morning. We remember afresh how we were brought to you, how we were saved by the blood of the Lamb. And we're aware how we are risen to new life along with him. And so God, I ask that you would give us fresh joy in that story this morning. And I pray that not only for ourselves, I also pray for PCC who meets here after us. I also pray that for our sister churches, Mercy's Door in Muscuda, Illinois, and Redeemer Georgetown down in Texas. God, we pray that you would meet with them powerfully today. That you would be doing great work in their midst, binding them together in unity, showing them your love, convincing them of your purposes. Lord, we're aware that what you're doing in our midst is much bigger than just us. We're aware that we are bound together in one church, in one spirit, with our brothers and sisters around the world. And so we pray for those who are in hard places, who are in places of poverty, places of warfare, places of persecution around the world. Lord, we ask that you would give them great grace to stand strong. We ask that in the midst of many horrors, your gospel would shine brightly and you would use your people to bear much fruit. We pray this in Christ's name for his glory and our joy. Amen. Well, we're nearly halfway through the book of Exodus. And if there's one theme that keeps coming back to us time and time again, it's that the one true God is passionate about making himself known. He wants to make himself known to his own people. And he wants to make himself known to the nations. It's a commitment of his. And within the book of Exodus, we see himself make himself known in really three very prominent ways, three different actions, all of which we desperately need. We see that he is the God who saves. We see that he is the God who speaks. And we see that he is the God who stays. And all three of those motifs are really woven throughout the whole book, but up till now, chapters 1 through 17, it's focused mostly on Yahweh as the God who saves. He's saved from genocide. He's saved from slavery. By the substitutionary blood of the Passover lamb, he's saved from his own holy justice. He's saved from chariots and from the sea. He's saved from disease, from hunger, from thirst, from hostile armies. He is the God who saves. And today's chapter is going to give us a bit of an epilogue to that section. We're going to celebrate again. He is the God who saves. But then we're also going to introduce the emphasis on Yahweh as the God who speaks. And next week we get to the Lord descending on Mount Sinai and directly giving his law. But this week we're introduced into a much more subtle way in which God speaks to his people. Namely, he often speaks to his people through his people. So in Jethro's visit, we're going to see that this God who is uniquely exalted above all, he is also a God who uses normal human communication, who speaks to his own people through his people, through many wise leaders that he's given. And we look at the first verses of chapter 18. As we do that, we might wonder, like, well, you know, we've had all these wonders. We've had these epic scenes in these previous chapters. But now the story seems to be slowing down a bit. And why is a story kind of just giving us really some family dialogue? It seems out of place. Maybe it even feels trivial. There's no great wonders to behold. There's no direct action of God that we perceive in this chapter. And that's exactly why we need to pay attention. Because these seemingly mundane chapters, like this one, they actually occupy the greatest proportion of our own lives, right? God doesn't always speak and move along his agenda through a fiery mountain or a prophet writing down scripture. So in the first half of this chapter, we're going to see an example of God making himself known simply through the ordinary testimony of his people. The scene opens with Jethro arriving at the camp with Moses' wife and his two sons. Maybe they'd been sent back to Midian because, Pharaoh, uh, because Moses was concerned for their safety. He wanted to protect them from Pharaoh. It's also possible that Zipporah went back to her family to give birth to their second son because this is the first time we've heard about Eliezer. Whatever the case, they're delivered now back to Moses safely, and um, they're brought by Jethro. We've seen Jethro before. We were introduced to him in chapter 2 when he gave his daughter to Moses in marriage. In chapter 3, Moses was working for Jethro as a shepherd. And then in chapter 4, Moses took his leave of Jethro before he went back to Egypt. And we know some things about Jethro. We know that he knew Yahweh somehow. He was a priest of Midian. Now, the Midianites, we know that they were descendants of Abraham also, but through a different son, not through Isaac. It's not clear if Jethro worshipped Yahweh exclusively or if he also considered other pagan gods that the Midianites would worship in centuries that followed. Whatever the case there. What we do know from this chapter is that from here on out, Jethro worships only the God of Moses and the Israelites. We can imagine the effect that it might have had on Jethro over the years to hear Moses' firsthand accounts. First of all, Moses' origin story of how he was rescued from the Nile River as a baby because of his parents' prayers and their faith-filled risk-taking. And then, while Moses is tending Jethro's sheep, He has this experience with a burning bush. And, um, I mean, that's quite the incident to hear about, isn't it? The God of Jethro's ancestor, Abraham, had spoken clearly to Moses. And um, so Jethro is putting these pieces together, that this God is real, This God has purposes for today. Moses' faith at this point was still sort of developing. But Jethro then also had in his grandson's very names, Gershom, Eleazar, he has these reminders of what God was doing. He was calling Moses to a truer homeland than he had ever known, and he was also Moses' help. God was Moses' help delivering him from the sword of Pharaoh. That's what their names mean. So, after Moses receives his father-in-law at the Israelite camp, and he greets him with all the usual pomp and ceremony that in the ancient Near East you would give to a respected relative, what Jethro is going to hear then is going to communicate to him as never before the salvation of God. Verse 8 says, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to, Mo- to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, And how the Lord had delivered them. Notice a few things here about Moses' testimony of God's salvation in his life. First of all, Moses' testimony comes naturally, it comes enthusiastically. It's a matter of first importance for Jethro to know. And after what Moses had experienced, really, how could it be any other way, right? What else could he talk about? Of course, this is going to flow out of his mouth to his relative and his friend. We always want to share our best news with the people we care about most in this life. And so Moses just quite naturally and promptly spouts out this good news about how God had saved him and all of his people from slavery and judgment and death. Which raises a question, does this best news flow excitedly out of your mouth to the people that you care about? And if not, what might that say about our perspective on the work of Christ in our lives? Excuse me, I'm going to drink some more water. Now, as we get into this, please don't hear this as some sort of guilt trip. Like, you know, God really expects you to speak about him. And if you're not doing that, then you should just feel so bad about yourself until you just, you know, muster up the the annoyance with yourself to to go and say something. Don't hear me say that because that sort of testimony is not what God wants from you. No, if a Christian is not speaking of God's salvation in his or her life, then there's not a need to force yourself to do something you don't want to do. Instead, there's a need to focus on a couple of things that will make you want to do it. First, do you love the people in your life? Do you love them? At the very least, Moses respected Jethro and had this familial affection for him, and so he shared naturally what was most important in his life. Do you love the people in your life enough to share what's most important with them? If not, then that's a good place to start. Ask God to give you love for those people, and as you grow in love, you will grow in honest communication with them about what's really going on, And in the life of a true Christian, God's presence in your life is always the most important thing that's going on. Or, second, and I'm afraid this is more often the case, do we think too little about the salvation we've experienced? We love the people in our life, but we just don't see our salvation as the important thing to communicate. And if it doesn't seem monumental, if it doesn't seem earth-shattering and forever life-transforming, as was the case for Moses, well, then, of course, we won't speak about it. Why should we? If it's just, like, a rite of passage that we went through, or it's just sort of a culture that we claimed for ourselves, or it's just some sort of crude transaction, like picking up a get-out-of-hell-free card, then why should we speak about it? That's not going to fill your conversations with wonder. But... On the other hand, if this salvation is the decisive rescue from your deepest troubles and it's the continuing comfort through your hardest struggles and it's given you purpose and it's shown you your true identity and it's wrapped you into the most exciting and certain renewal project that's unfolding in the world today, well, then you're going to talk about it. And that need for our salvation to remain accurately weighty in our minds This is why we gather here on Sundays and why we gather in life groups. We need to remind each other again and again what our salvation is. We're so tempted to make it a small thing, to just let it kind of shrink back into this very safe and domesticated little package. And this is why we have to be intentional about looking at God's word. This is why we sing God's word. We pray God's word. We meditate on God's word. We tell our stories of change by God's word. We remember just how all transforming in our lives and for the world this salvation is. When, we, when what we've experienced in Christ is as weighty as it should be in our own thinking and in our own feeling, then we will open our mouths. We will want to share with others. Notice also that Moses' testimony to Jethro was all about what the Lord had done. It was not about what he had done. Our speech about God isn't going to impact people very much if it's all about what we learned, how we saw things, what we did. Like Moses, we should be talking about what God did for us, what God did to us, what God is doing through us. And we should show that he did it in spite of us. Right Jethro knew firsthand Moses's weaknesses. He knew Moses fear of Pharaoh He knew Moses slowness to believe God's promises And Moses also would have told him about the people's weaknesses how they were angry with him about the no straw policy And they're grumbling in the wilderness and they're putting the Lord to the test But even those elements are part of the glorious story of how God delivered them not only physically but from the sickness of unbelief in their own hearts do you wrap those dark spots into your own story of God's work? Do you speak of how even today he is faithfully leading you through depression or exhaustion or humility or poverty or loss? And do you speak about his victory not only over your sin generally, like sin is just this like nebulous blob out there. No, speak about your sins specifically. Talk about how he is victorious over them and how you're seeing that more and more. That sort of story speaks compellingly. That's how we actually have something relevant to say to the world around us. And what was Jethro's response to all of this? Worship. He rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. And he said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. He worships not only through his confession here, but he's, he then goes on to worship through his actions. He brings sacrifices to God. He had a celebratory meal with the elders of Israel. Now, will those who are hearing through us of God's salvation, will they always respond like Jethro? No, they will not. Chapters 18 17 and 18 are sort of a contrast between the two ways that the world is going to respond to the people of God So God is revealing himself to the nations. His name is being made known and some like the Amalekites Are going to hear the distant reports of us and they're going to decide right away. That's a threat to be eliminated And that's to be expected. And so we should trust God to defend us but others like Jethro will see the beauty and the trustworthiness of God, and they will come to worship alongside us. That's what we long for. That's why we open ourselves to the process of God speaking through us to others of his salvation. So God used the simple testimony of his people to spread the knowledge of himself. Jethro, who, Jethro hadn't been in Egypt. Jethro hadn't been at the Red Sea. He hadn't seen anything, really. But he had heard enough, enough to make him also a participant in this salvation that had been revealed to Israel. So Yahweh is the God who speaks through his people. Well, the second half of this chapter shows us God speaking through his people in a different way. Instead of Moses speaking to Jethro, we're going to see Jethro speaking to Moses. We're going to see that God gives discernment and ordinary wisdom to guide his people in his way of truth So the next day after this big celebratory meal Jethro tags along to see his son-in-law at work And uh, he kind of just bites his lip all day uh, Just observes maybe increasingly might have been shaking his head or or chuckling to himself About the impossibility of it all And finally he confronts Moses In a way that really only a trusted and loving authority figure can. And he says, what is it that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And then Moses tries to explain the necessity of it all. Because the people come to me and inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses feels the burden of these two huge tasks one is just to settle disputes he's to to be a judge over these domestic issues i mean you can imagine what that might have been like uh this guy stole my goat this woman cheated me out of some nice pottery or stained my tunic or their son is flirting with my daughter you know and we'll see later in exodus that god did give the people case law that could be applied to all sorts of situations like that but it's it would certainly be um A tedious task to sort through all that. And there's more here too, not just judgment, but he says, the people come to me to inquire of God. Remember, this is before any scripture had been written, so the people would have had a lot of questions, like, what is God like? What are his plans for the future? How can I, in whatever role I have in this new society, how do I fit into that? And Moses would pray for them, and Moses would unpack what he knew about the God of our fathers, and... And he would know a lot more after Sinai. We're going to read about that really for the rest of the book. But Moses is trying here to function as the sole prophet, priest, and judge all in one with no help. And Jethro tells him plainly, what you're doing is not good. Do you have respected figures in your life? People who can be blunt and say, what you're doing is not good. You listen to them when they say hey you're not being wise you can't keep up this routine you have This isn't healthy. This isn't productive. You're not really trusting God Can you receive feedback like that from the people in your life Or are you quick to shut out any critique quick to play the expert on everything If there was anyone who maybe could have naturally thought he didn't need input from others, it was Moses. I mean, this guy had spoken with God in a way that was unparalleled for the last 500 years, and he'd been used by God to shake up nature, to humble the greatest empire of their time, to deliver millions of people into this new existence. So why should he listen to someone who couldn't claim any of those things? Thankfully, Moses didn't think like that. But unfortunately, there are a lot of pastors in America who do. I think of one megachurch pastor in particular who, at the beginning of his ministry, he had a lot of wise mentors. But as he went along and people deferred to him more and more, it became like a drug. And at one point, he even articulated how he couldn't go to those wise mentors anymore because he said, I can't learn anything from someone whose church isn't larger than mine. Well, his blind spots grew more and more glaring until his pride eventually blew up everything he had built. For what it's worth, you can rest assured that I've got a number of men in my life who feel free to say what you're doing is not good. There are the other elders in our church. Not only Pastor Victor, but Brett and Chris know that they have that invitation even now. Also, there are pastors that we're linked to in the Acts 29 network. I can think of nine such men who know and care about our church and who would quickly come to our aid and get in my face in a constructive way if troubles became apparent. And I also have another number of other older men in my life who ask probing questions and who offer wisdom, and some of them, like Jethro, are family members. Some are old friends whose sound perspectives have been forged through suffering. Some are in ministry in other parts of the country or other parts of the world. But my point is that your pastor knows he's not a rock. He's not an island. And I also want to say that the wisdom of Jethro here could be the wisdom of any mature believer. We know that the Holy Spirit is at work in all the saints of God, making us a priesthood unto each other. So you might have the wisdom that the elders need to hear, and we welcome those conversations. So we see that God speaks to Moses here, not directly, but through the wisdom of his servant Jethro. And Moses is humble enough to accept that counsel, and Moses is discerning enough to realize that Jethro is speaking truth from God And since Moses wrote the book of Exodus, we also know that Moses is humble enough to give Jethro credit for this positive change that was coming. And the specific counsel that Jethro gave is you and the people are on a path that's going to wear yourselves out. You're not able to do this task alone. And so Jethro suggests this model that's pretty similar to our own judicial system. You know, you've got your district court, you've got your appellate judges, you've got your supreme court judges so there's this hierarchy of responsibility and it goes down from moses all the way down to leaders of 10 when it it probably means 10 families at the bottom that was kind of the base unit in um in those ancient societies and those families all had their own natural leaders so moses adopts this plan uh he offloads most of the judging tasks but they're still going to come to him with the toughest cases and moses still has plenty of weighty work to do right like now he's free to focus more on representing the people before God, likely implying that he's, he's praying faithfully and specifically for the people. He's also freed up more to focus on warning them about God's law. And maybe this is the very pivot in leadership style that allowed Moses the head space and the heart space to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to write those first five books of the Bible. So prayer and teaching were to be his sweet spot. And this is probably the precedent also that the disciples looked to in Acts 6 when they had the church raise up other leaders so that they could stay focused on prayer and teaching. Now, please don't hear me saying that local pastors are in the exact situation of Moses or of the disciples, right? But there is some overlap in that it's an incredibly weighty responsibility to lead even a a small portion of the people of God. A 2022 study found that 42% of clergy in the United States were seriously contemplating leaving the ministry. And an even more dismal study found that 1 in 10 clergymen were struggling with suicidal thoughts. It's a weighty thing to shepherd the people of God, and it's too much for any man. Burnout is real. Sin and Satan love to twist the minds and darken the hearts of those who are under pressure to lead well. And no, this sermon is not a subtle, not so subtle cry for help. Okay, by God's grace, I'm not in the 42% or the 10% there. Uh, I just mentioned these realities to emphasize the truth of what Moses discovered that no one is equipped to shepherd the people of God alone. Many pastors are in really bad spots because either A, they're not wise enough to delegate authority, or B, There's truly no one in their context who meets even the basic criteria for receiving responsibility. Or, C, their churches demand that they do everything, and and they have no category for a pastor not being a one man show. But what we see in this passage, and what we'll see later in Deuteronomy and then most fully in the New Testament, is that God doesn't want to speak to his people through just one man. Well, he did that decisively in Jesus Christ. And since Moses, since Jesus is the greater Moses, it makes sense that this passage is a a preview of sorts of what would unfold in the New Testament church. How God would give the church many leaders. It's prescribed in the New Testament. Leaders that would help bring those universally received truths down into everyday local practice. So what sort of help did Moses need? What sort of help do we need today? Jethro mentions really four characteristics here about those that they're looking for. First, he says that they're able men. They're able. You don't elevate someone to leadership in the church just because they want to do it. They need to have been given the capability by God. And in the context of Exodus 18, that means that they had the ability to discern the truth of a situation and then apply God's truth to it. Now, as we look for uh, who God is raising up in the local church for various kinds of leadership, ability is an important factor but it can also sometimes be hard to measure. Sometimes God mobilizes people for a certain role and then equips them. So able can sometimes mean able to work hard at learning. And sometimes even if the people God even the people God has already equipped so that they are able, they don't always realize that they're able. They've never thought of themselves in in, in that sort of capacity, and it's probably precisely because of their humility. And so it takes discernment to decide who is able. But that is an important criteria. The second Jethro says, look for those who fear God. What does it mean to be God-fearing? It doesn't mean that you walk around with your knees knocking because you just know God's going to smite you any minute. It means that you take God seriously, that you understand his infinite power. You understand his uncompromising holiness. And precisely because you take those seriously, you also keep a tight hold on his mercy. You tremble at his word. You're in awe of his greatness. You consider yourself very small, which really all those things can only happen if you love him. So anyone to whom responsibility over God's people is given, do they fear God? Because if they fear God, then they will serve him, and they won't foolishly try to use him to create their own little kingdom. Thirdly, Moses is to look for those who are trustworthy. Trustworthy. They do what they say. They show up. Their word is like gold. They follow through, and when they mess up, They take ownership for it. And then in respect to stuff, Moses is looking for those who aren't mercenaries. They don't take bribes. They're not out to secure money and possessions. Keep in mind, bribes don't always have to be material in nature, and they don't have to be explicitly communicated either, right? So it's a, a larger question. How do leaders act when the payoff for changing course could be some social capital? or like a flashier reputation, or just an easier path. The leaders Moses is looking for aren't gonna decide what they're gonna do or say based on self-interest. And that's a very, very hard quality to find. Now on the one hand, this sort of delegating approach that Jethro is suggesting, it might seem pretty simple. It's just a, a management principle, right? But with its emphasis on holiness and discernment in the new leaders, it's actually a profound way to multiply Moses' efforts exponentially. So this chapter and others like it show us that the Bible sees no problem with Moses on the one hand acting based on clear verbal direction from God, and then on the other hand making decisions based on this counsel from a wise man given in God's name. There's no contradiction there. Part of God's beauty, part of God's greatness is that he uses many diverse resources, many different people to lead us in righteousness, though never in a way that contradicts his word. And sometimes the flourishing of God's people is going to come about through wisdom that was gleaned through an accidental conversation that no one expected to happen between two spirit-filled individuals. So in verses 13 through 27, what we're seeing really is two different ways that God is speaking through his people. One is Jethro's strong advice to Moses. God speaking to Moses through Jethro. The other way is the shepherding and judging based on God's words that so many new leaders would then speak into the lives of the Israelites. God is speaking through these new leaders to shepherd his people. Now, we've already been thinking along these lines, but so just let me make it clear. Old Testament Israel is a picture of the church. And the church is the beginning of a new humanity. And so like Israel, we live under the rule of God rather than self. And so if we look for God to raise up a number of true spiritual leaders in our midst, people who are able, God-fearing, trustworthy, not motivated by self-interest, and as we trust him to speak to us through them, as verse 23 says, God will direct us as a people, and like Israel, we will go to our appointed place in peace. But we see that Moses was ready for this change. But were his people? Do you think some of them might have been offended the next day when they showed up and stood in line and they saw someone different up there? Hey, this isn't the guy whose outstretched arms opened the Red Sea or fought off the Amalekites. Am I getting the second stringer here? Maybe they felt cheated. Well, that sort of view would have been missing the point that it was God all along. And it was no man who had accomplished those great things. And that same God had now raised up other voices. We today should be even more accepting of multiple voices because, well, first, clearly I'm not Moses. And secondly, the, the New Testament teaches me as a pastor not just to delegate authority, but actually to share authority with the plurality of elders. Unfortunately, in some church cultures, the man who went to seminary and who gets paid full-time, hes viewed as the one with all the magic. I heard a story of a pastor of a medium-sized church who um, was frequently asked to meet with a certain distressed woman in his church, and he was happy on many occasions to sit and to, to listen to her and to remind her of God's promises from his word and to pray for her earnestly. But one week, this pastor simply had to focus his efforts elsewhere. And so when the call came in, another elder took responsibility for the visit and ministered to this woman with great diligence and care. But the next day, the lead pastor got a message from the woman saying that she was going to commit suicide, and it would be the pastor's fault because he hadn't come when she needed him. Obviously, he responded to that immediately, and he soon discovered she was in the hospital But then, upon arrival, he found that she had told the staff not to admit him, and then soon after, she officially left the church. Now, granted, this is a really extreme example, right? But what I'm getting at is that we need to have a bigger view than this woman did of what the church is for and of how God speaks through his people. I want to be faithful in ministering to each one of you, But I'm also called to equip the church at large to do the work of ministry, right? I want to be there for you in those moments that matter. By God's grace, I think I will be most of the time. But sometimes the voice you most need to hear actually won't be mine. Sometimes it will be Pastor Victor's or Jay or Evan or Jen or any of your spirit-filled brothers and sisters in Christ. Just like as through Moses to Jethro, God speaks through us to build up others with our testimony of his work in our lives. And just as through Jethro to Moses, God speaks through us to push each other toward godly wisdom that's going to benefit the whole church. And just as through these new leaders to the people, God speaks through us to help all of us discern between right and wrong and to hold on to truth when it feels like a cloud of lies is swirling all around us. So we have to take that role seriously. God wants to speak through us. And we should worship this God who speaks. Yes, who speaks directly in great power and clarity as we're going to see in the weeks to come. But also worship the God who speaks simply subtly, artfully, through the faithful speech of his very own people. So, Lord, we do ask that you would give us a greater vision for that sort of ministry that we have toward each other as a priesthood of all believers. God, we ask that you would raise up godly leaders in our midst. We ask that you would speak powerfully to your people through your people. Lord, we ask that the leaders in this church would always be able and God-fearing and not given toward looking for self-interest and that they would be trustworthy. Lord, we ask that you would do this so that people would know you, so that your people would know you and the nations would know you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.